Lord, we do declare that you are sovereign and good and true. In the midst of the turmoil we see in our world, and in the midst of the worry and the fear that can come into our own hearts, Lord, we declare this morning that you are our God and that you are good and you will see us through to the good end that you have for your people. Lord, we pray that as we would look at your word this morning, you would open our hearts to a a deeper relationship with you, a deeper faith in who you are and what you've done and what you plan to do. Lord, I thank you for this church family, and I thank you that we can gather together. Would you just bless this time? We pray in your name. And would you guide my words this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If someone could get me a glass of water, that would just be awesome. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate that. I had a cup of coffee this morning, and since then I've just been, I don't know if it's wearing the mask as well, but I just feel like drained and parched. But anyway, here we are. So yes, open your Bibles. Keep your Bibles open. Uh, we'll, we'll be heading through chapter 6 and 7 as we go. And what I'd like to start with, you can turn to the next slide there, Dave. I want to kind of give an overview of what we've covered so far in this book as we've continued our series in Revelation. A little bit of an overview. Revelation, again, is sort of the culmination of the biblical story. It's, it's showing us how God's redemptive purposes for the world, for his creation, uh, are coming to a head, how he's going to deal with evil and deal with death, and he has done that through Jesus, through the lamb that was slain because of the victory won at the cross. And last week we talked about God's throne room and we talked about the sealed scroll and how there were none worthy to open the scroll except for Jesus himself, the lamb that was slain, and he is worthy to carry God's mission and purposes forward. We talked about how he is faithful Israel and he's the faithful human and that allows him to uh, open and forward God's plan, open the seals as it were of what God is going to do in the world and he is conquered uh, not in the way that lots expected in a sort of military conquest sort of way but Jesus is conquered by the cross through his death and through his resurrection. And so the end of chapter 5 ends If you look up at verse 13 of chapter 5, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate that. And so the lamb and the one on the throne are worshiped together as the one creator and redeemer God, which is very, very, very cool. And now we get to chapter 6, and the Lamb starts to open the scrolls. Chapter 6 is three sets of divine judgments. You can go to the next slide, Dave. There's seven seals, and then you'll get from chapter 6 to 16. And if you've ever read Revelation, you're probably familiar with this. There's seven seals, and then chapters 8 to 11, there's seven trumpets. Chapters 15 to 16, there's seven bowls. And all of these depict... God's kingdom and justice coming here on earth as in heaven. And so you've got three sets of divine judgments. And there's various ways people have read this. And so one is um, there's sort of interpretive options that you have here. And I'm not going to go through all the various interpretive options that you, that you can have. <laughs> but there are different ways to read it. So the first way, you can go to the next slide, Dave. 
The first way is to read the seals, trumpets, and bowls as sort of uh, like a literal successive events and different people will read this as either some have happened some of these have happened in the past so there's sort of 21 events that we're talking about some have happened in the past and some have happened in the present or maybe some are happening in the future and there's all sorts of views about how that all works but notice this you can go to the next slide dave notice that each of the sets of seven and you'll notice as we get through it each of the sets of seven culminates in the same way which is with the final judgment and it actually has matching conclusions so, um, there's another interpretive option, which, which is that they likely describe the same period of time, which is Jesus' ascension to Jesus' return from three different perspectives. And so you've got John using the seals to answer some questions about this period of time, and then he backs up and retells it with the trumpets, and then backs up again and retells it with the bulls. And because at, at the end of each of the seven, you have the same final uh, victory of God over evil. And so that is one way to read it. My slide's all scrunched up there. That's okay. So go back, go to the next slide again, Dave. There we go. So we've got three sets of seven divine judgments, and here's the different topics that each do. So the seven seals talk about Christian persecution. What's going to happen with martyred Christians? What's going on with them? The, the trumpets talk about unrepentant nations. Will they ever repent? And if they do, what's going to bring that about? And the bulls ask the question of ultimate defeat of evil. Will evil finally be vanquished? And in each one of these, you have, you have uh, in John's vision, there's a movement from war and violence and death through to God's judgment. It's the same sort of pattern each time over and over and over. So in the first set, again, there's the martyred Christians asking, how long will this go on? We'll talk about that today a bit more. And God answers that by promising that those who have been with the Lamb who have come through persecution into new life, they will be with him when it's all said and done. In the trumpet section, there's a question of, will the unrepentant nations ever be drawn into repentance? What will bring that about? And the answer is, well, the plagues in the world won't bring that about. The way that unrepentant nations will be brought to the Lamb is through the sacrificial death of his followers. As people live out their faith in Jesus, that points people to faith in him. And in the final set of seven, the bulls, talking about the question of evil, will God finally bring an end to the powers of darkness? The answer is yes, he will eventually on the day of the Lord. And so they tackle some pretty serious questions. Is there hope for Christians who face persecution and death? Yes, there's hope. Is there hope that the nations will someday repent and some will choose to come to Christ? Yes, there's hope. Is there hope that we have that eventually evil will be defeated because of the victory won by the Lamb on the cross. Yes, 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 yes. And each of the sevens ends with the picture of God's final judgment, God rescuing his people, redeeming the nations, and then ending the power of evil. So we'll talk about that as we go. But now let's look at chapter 6 and 7 specifically, which is the seals and the martyrs. And what do you see in chapter 6? It begins with conquest and war and famine and death. Someone said this is a typical day in human history, unfortunately which is really quite true. Conquest, war, famine, and death. And we might be asked right away, listen, I thought, I thought when we opened the scroll, this was going to be God's answer to all the brokenness in the world. Hang on. Jesus is the one opening the scroll. The scroll is God's mission and purposes going forward. So how come we're getting this, right? 
We're just coming off the glory of Revelation 4 and 5. The victory's been won. And here we find that, yes, indeed, the victory's been won. But we also find something else is happening. And the key thing is this. (laughs) The dark powers of evil are exposed for the fullness of what they are before God will finally deal with them. And the way, I, the way to think about this is, is like a surgeon. Um, if you have cancer or if you've had some sort of major thing and a surgeon needs to get into you, um, there are several things they will do before they start cutting you up, right? Ideally, they'll do some scans to see the extent of, of what is going on in your body, right? Like what, what's happening? Where is the thing? So my mom just had kidney surgery and they had to do scans to see where are we going to go, what can we do, how, you know, find out as much information as we can about this thing before we go to cut it out. We need to discover what's really going on in the body. In a sense, we need to actually reveal the destructive character of that cancer to its fullest degree. We need to see its brokenness before we can move to the issue at stake, which is to cut it out and then set things to right. And that's what's happening here. You're seeing the worst of what happens in the world before God is going to go about removing the evil. He allows the, the, the brokenness and the violence of the world to be exposed to its fullness, to run its course before he'll finally deal with it itself. And so I've written it like this. Like a surgeon who does scans, then the surgery... God is laying bare the depravity of our condition, of human sin, of violence and war, etc., before establishing his kingdom. But for how long will he let that go on, of course, is the question. But it's interesting, isn't it? Instead of four glorious remedies to our problems in the first four seals, we get four horses and riders who just symbolize conquest, violence, war, famine, death. It's not good. But again, God is allowing the forces of destruction to do their worst so then he can then fully and forever defeat them and establish his kingdom. And again, if you've ever had a serious illness or if you've had cancer, you may not want to hear the news that the cancer is spreading. We don't want to hear about more war and violence. Thank you very much, John's vision and revelation. I don't want to hear more about four horsemen, right? Haven't we had enough of that? in our world. But we need to be honest, and this is what Revelation prompts us to do, is we need to be honest about the utter brokenness of our world and the utter depravity of our human condition and our sinfulness. These things are laid bare by God. And in the same way, we need the the horrifying results of the MRI or the X-ray to really see what's going on before the surgeon can get in and start to set things right, God begins the task of finally dealing with them and bringing about his new creation by laying them bare and exposing them for what they are. But then there's the question, well, how long will this go on for? And I tell you, when I look around in the world and when I see evil going on in the world, there's what the next shooting or the next violent outbreak, you start to ask yourself, well, how long, Lord, will you let these things go on for? And that's exactly the question that's asked next in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain for the word of God and for the witness they bore. 
And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It's the cries of the martyred saints asking God, how long are you going to allow persecution and evil against your followers to endure? How long is that going to go on, God? (laughs) We've we've laid down our lives for you. How much longer are you going to allow evil and war to exist? They've been killed because of their faith in Jesus. And God tells them to rest a little longer. There's more who will be killed before the end. We're not told why, but we are told it won't last forever. And then God answers the question of how long with the sixth seal. And the sixth seal, verses 12 to 17, is the day of the Lord. Revelation 6, 17. And it's right out of Isaiah 2 and Joel 2. John's pulling right from those places. And in those places, let me read to you a little bit from Isaiah 2 and Joel 2. Isaiah 2. The Lord of hosts has a day against the proud and lofty. The lofty pride of man shall be brought low. People shall enter the caves from before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. Sounds a lot like what we just read in Revelation, right? People hiding in the caves. And then Joel, the earth quakes, the sun and moon are darkened. The day of the Lord is great and awesome. Who can endure it, says Joel. So the day of the Lord is this day of God's justice and anger against injustice, against evil, rebellious humanity, but it's also a day of of grace and mercy and love for the repentant. And that question from Joel 2, who can endure, is picked up, look at it, right here in verse 15. You've got people hiding in the caves. Again, this is right out of Joel and Isaiah. And they call to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face who is see- of the one who is seated on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, this is the day of the Lord, and who can stand? Who can endure? It's the same question right out of Joel 2. Who can endure the day of wrath when God comes? And John presses pause on the action, and he answers that question with chapter 7. Who can stand in the day of the Lord when he comes? And so the answer is in the next chapter. So go to the next page. It starts with this. John sees an angel with the seal of the living God. Probably like a signet rain is kind of what's in mind. And he comes to mark the servants of God. Now look at chapter 7, verse 4. John says, I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then it goes on to list the 12,000 from each tribe. It's a, it's a military census for an army. It's very much like out of Numbers 1. And now pay attention, because something very similar to this happened in chapter 4, which would have been last week. Um, in chapter 4 you remember, four and five, John heard the angel say, there's one who is worthy, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered, right? And then John turns and sees not a lion, but what? Sees the lamb, and all the imagery of the lion goes, right? All the conquest imagery goes with it, but now we're, we're discovering the way that Jesus won the lion victory was through laying down his life like a lamb. He's conquered through his sacrificial death. And now in this way, in the same way, John hears the number, 144,000, and then he sees its surprising fulfillment. You can go to the next slide. It's a great multitude that no one can number. 
And it's not just Israel, right? It's not just ethnic Israel, but it's people from every nation, tribes and peoples and languages, which is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham from Genesis 17. And so the question is, well, who can stand in the day of the Lord when God shows up? The answer is, they can. The messianic army of God's kingdom from all nations, they can stand because they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And all those martyrs and all those who endure for Jesus, even in the brokenness and violence of our world, will be able to stand in the day of the Lord because we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And in verse 14, John's told, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. And some take that to mean a very specific period of suffering. Um, But others will take it to mean sort of the whole of human history, all of the brokenness and violence and tragedy, and all the sufferings that the church has gone through from Jesus' ascension through his return. These are the ones who have laid down their lives over the course of human history because of Jesus, and now their robes can be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And having, uh, because they've, they've conquered by turning to Jesus and repenting of their sin and been faithful even to death. So then, go to the next slide, Dave. There's incredible hope here for Christians. And there's a couple, there's several things to note. The first thing, though, is the army of the Lord, of the Lamb, conquers by laying down their lives just like Jesus did. And that's incredibly sobering. And we have enjoyed immense freedom and peace in our time. But for the majority of human history or Western civilization, since the church has been around, the church does not always enjoy peace. And we don't always enjoy sort of flourishing. Often the church has been persecuted. And, and even today, there's people in places around the world where people are imprisoned because of their faith in Jesus, or have died because of their faith in Jesus. And so there's a very, very realistic call here to the church from Jesus through John to the churches in his day in Revelation, right? As they're, remember, they're facing all the issues from Rome, all the potential persecution. For them to be told, listen, that you may be called to lay down your life because of Jesus, but in doing so, you will conquer with him. And that message of hope carries through for every generation of Christians. Listen, when times get tough, and your life is put on the line because of your faith, you can have hope. You can have hope that even though you may die, you will live and reign with him. And there's some incredible, very tender promises in the last three verses of chapter 7. Let me read it again for you. Therefore they are before the throne of God, And serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They will hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He'll guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And you'll see those promises are picked up at the end of Revelation, chapter 21, 22. So yes, there is evil and death and brokenness in our world. Yes, Christians are persecuted and suffer for their faith. Lord, how long will this go on? That's the fifth seal, right? The martyrs under the altar. They're called to wait until the great day of the Lord. And in that day, all those who have endured 
will be able to stand. And you get this great promise of, of renewal and life with God. And notice how chapter 7 answers the martyr's question of how long. God says, just wait. When the great day of the Lord comes, then, then it'll be over. And you'll come into my presence in this way. But it also answers the question of the unrepentant nations from chapter 617 of who can stand in Joel 2. Who can stand? Who can endure? It's the, the messianic army of the Lamb can stand because they're washed in the blood of Jesus. It won't go on forever. Those who stand with Jesus and lay down their lives just as he did will be the ones who truly conquer. And there's hope for us in that. If that's difficult. I mean, we don't want to die. But we also recognize that death for us is not the final word. It's not the final say in our lives as Christians. Though we may die, we will live with him. And next week in chapter 8, John retells this again through the seven trumpets, and he's going to ask the question, well, what about the nations? Will they repent? And so we'll come back next week and deal with that. But let's talk a little bit, as I wrap this up, about living this out for today. You can go to the last slide. The hope for us today. Again, believers through church history know that they may be called to suffer for following the Lamb. And that may be true of us too, folks. Uh, I mean, I can't predict the future. We've had incredible peace in our country, which is awesome. But we don't know what the future may hold. And there's, there's some of us in the congregation here who have experienced discrimination and hateful words because of your faith. You, I mean, you haven't laid down your life, but maybe you've had to lay down other things because of who you are as a Christian. You felt a little bit of this. And there's hope for you that as you put your faith in Jesus and follow the Lamb, he will see you through whatever mess that might be, even if that eventually ends in your death. He will see you through even that out the other end. You can have hope in him. And in the very end, persecution, evil, war, violence will be fully exposed again and then ultimately overthrown by God. And the blood of Jesus saves us from sin and death. We will be in God's presence, healed and restored with his tender love. I love this, this picture that the elder describes in 7.13. And he writes, says, it's like, it's like these martyrs have lived through the nightmare. Now they wake up on a glorious, fresh, new morning. Their clothes are white, not because of their holiness, not because of their good works or their purity, but because of the blood of the Lamb. He's rescued them from slavery and into new life. And now he's made them to stand in the very presence of the living God. And I love this picture of God wiping away the tears from every eye. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Verse 17. It's almost like God gets up off his throne and comes down individually to each one and just personally, tenderly wipes the tears. And I love that image that as I go through brokenness in my life, as I encounter hardship, which is minimal compared to what some have encountered because of their faith, God's tender mercy and love is the same to each and every one of us folks. That whatever you're going through, whatever difficulty you may be struggling with or will struggle with in your life or have struggled with and you're trying to still come to grips with perhaps this is the heart of god that he stoops down to wipe the tears from our eyes and the great hope that he gives us through jesus that we can be in his presence and know his shepherding love over us isn't that great 
And as we look to that future, as we remind ourselves, that's the hope I have in Jesus. That gives me strength and encouragement for today. It helps put things in perspective. Yes, the the issues in life and the brokenness in my marriage, right, or the issues with kids or the problems at work, those are very real. We're not downplaying those. But we're also saying, look at the glorious future that is for those who are with Jesus. And put it in perspective. This is a small and passing thing. This darkness is real. But God's glory and life and love will shine greater when he comes again in glory. And as one who's been washed in the blood of the Lamb, I get to be part of that new creation and part of his tender renewal and mercy over me. I need God to come wipe my tears. I've had some tears. I need God to come wipe those for me. So let's pray. And I invite you today to bring to God what is the thing that, (laughs) what is the thing on your heart? Maybe there's several things that you need to bring to him and say, God, I need you to come even now today. Be with me and wipe those tears as I look forward to that ultimate day when I'm with you in glory. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you care about each and every one of us. This beautiful image, Father, of you coming and wiping our tears, knowing what we have gone through, and welcoming us into your presence. Lord, we look forward to that day when we will stand in your glory and you will welcome us into yourself. That tender image, Lord, of shepherding and protecting us and keeping us. Lord, we pray that you would make that so real to us in our hearts today, that you are holding us, you are keeping us, even in the midst of the brokenness in our world. Lord, it's so easy to look around and see the conquest, to see war, to see famine, to see the violence, to see the death, to see the latest COVID cases count and get all worried about it. And Lord, we recognize those are realities. Those are real. We're not downplaying that. But Jesus, we want to live in light of who you are and what you've done. Lord, you have covered us by your blood. And that doesn't mean we won't suffer. You suffered, God. But it does mean that even if we suffer, we suffer, we have hope and life in you. So much so that we could even face death and come out the other end because we are held fast by you, Jesus. And so I pray today, not that you'd make us fearful of dying, <laughs> but that you would make us hopeful to know that the life that we live for you matters that you've got us even in the midst of brokenness and that we live in anticipation of that glorious future, that that great day will come. For many, it will be a question of who can stand, but we know we can stand, Lord, because of you and your victory on the cross. Lord, I pray that that would stir in us a compassion for those that don't know you. Lord, I pray that it would stir in us a deeper faith for the moments where we feel overwhelmed with worry and weariness. Lord, I pray that it would give us a boldness to live missionally, to proclaim our faith, 
to live out the gospel because there will come a day when you will return. And there are those who will want, (laughs) who will wonder who can endure, who have resisted you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the boldness, the willingness, the compassion to live out the gospel and to share the gospel with our neighbors, that we can give a reason for the hope we have even in the midst of the brokenness of our world. And what a time to be so aware of that than during this pandemic, where there's such a, uh, uh, such an awareness in everyone's minds of uh, the frailty of life, how the steadiness of our world seems to get thrown, how the various systems that we can often cling to, work, school, can suddenly change and we don't have footing. God, we have sure footing in you, and we have a hope and a faith to share with the world. Lord, would you embolden us with compassion and faithfulness and wisdom to live out the message of your gospel, Lord, so that we can stand with you when that day comes. And with the words you taught us, Lord, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Friends, would you stand with me? Receive this benediction before you go. Children of God who are loved and forgiven in our Lord Jesus Christ, may you know the cleansing power of the blood of the Lamb applied to your life. May you have hope and faith that you can endure for him should that time come. And may you be emboldened to live out the gospel with compassion, to share the good news of the hope and the faith you have with those around you who don't. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. I do love you. Have a great week. If you'd like prayer, I'd love to pray with you. But otherwise, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Bless you.